We've been, we've been walking through a brief series on uh, some of the cultural camels that we swallow. You know, while we're straining out gnats and worried about little things, some of the cultural camels that tend to, to get swallowed, we've talked about uh, conformism and individualism and materialism and uh, relativism, and this morning we are talking about activism. Activism, a, a culture of busyness that can lead to superficiality in our hearts and in our lives. This morning we are in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Very familiar story. May God graciously give us new eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit would say to His church. Hear then God's word in Luke chapter 10. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed Him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and you are troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Pray with me. Father in heaven, this morning we have gathered as your church and as your people. We have gathered to lift our hearts in worship and we have gathered to come to sit at your feet, to listen to your word. Father, would you be gracious and speak to us. Speak forth the power of your word and the power of your spirit. That it might recapture us and reprioritize us and pull us into a deeper and richer life with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a quote. I think I've used it before in years past. It's one that sticks with me. It's a book I read many years ago by Richard Foster. And in, in the first couple of pages, he makes the statement and he says, superficiality is the curse of our age. This is in your bulletin, under the first point. Superficiality is the curse of our age. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. We need deep people. And depth takes time. Depth requires Leisure, holy leisure, the ability to linger over the important things so that they seep into us and time to read, to read in the scripture, to read spiritual books and then leisure to think and to pray, to chew and to swallow those things that God is saying to us. They don't go in one ear and out the other ear as proverbially said. How, how do we keep it from going out that other ear? We need We need to linger. We need to to be able to think and to pray, to chew and to swallow and pray those truths into our lives. But the pace of life is accelerating. There's no time for such things. Non-stop demands. We have full schedules and family and work. And then when you throw in our activities and the things that we get ourselves involved with, there's church, 
our service. There's so many good things, a list of good things, both at church, but also in the community and out there, a list of good things that we can be involved in, things that we could do. There's, there's no end. You can be as busy as you want to be, as full as you want to be, and apparently most of us want to be very full. We complain about our schedules, we complain about our lack of time and how much we have to do, just how busy we are, but at the same time, our culture has this thing where we we complain about how busy we are and how full the schedule is, but at the same time, we get this sense of importance out of it. Because I delight to tell you how busy I am. I delight to tell you all the stuff I have going on. And there's a sense of value that we draw from that, a sense of worth. The more that I do and the the more that my kids do or are involved in and the more well-rounded they are and experiences that they have and the more that we we drink in, there's, there's a way that we feel better about who we are. We have a sense that all these activities helping us to experience life to the fullest. Most of these things aren't bad. Many of them are good. But deep life is about choosing between the good and the best. (laughs) Right? There's so much. The life is so full of stuff. Every Christian life, we can, even in the Christian life, we can make activity the goal. Right? Activity the goal. What I do and how I serve and what I am involved with rather than God himself. And so the activity can begin to take over and to take the place of God himself. The culture starts to use words like stress. Nobody uses those words around here, right? Stress, burnout, weariness. There's emotional and a physical exhaustion. You hear more and more about breakdowns and we're just weary. There's nothing wrong with being busy. I read the Gospels and I read the life of Jesus and I get the sense that Jesus was a pretty busy guy. I mean, people were knocking down his door all the time. Wherever he went, it says, and the crowd followed him. It didn't matter whether he crossed the lake, the crowd went around, and before he got there, the crowd was waiting for him. The demands on him were high. When they figured out who, what this guy could do, and they figured out the things that this guy had to say, he was a much sought-after speaker and entertainer and healer. And so he was pursued. He was busy. You read some of these stories, you get tired. But the thing is this, it's, it's not just about not being busy, it's... it's It's all about what we're doing, and even more so, why we're doing it. What are we doing? All that flurry, all that fullness, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Spurgeon said, it's there in your bulletin, it's not an easy thing to maintain the balance of a spiritual life. No man can be spiritually healthy who does not meditate and commune, who does not spend time with God, thinking and praying and reading. On the other hand, no man is as he should be, no woman is as she should be, unless she is active and diligent in holy service. Unless we're up and doing. We're called to a full and active life in Christ. We're called to service and to sacrifice. We are called to enjoy the good things that God has given us. And somehow, as he said, it's no easy thing to maintain balance. To stay deep and, and not grow superficial as we run around. The question is, what are we doing and where does it come from? Who are we? 
is we do all this stuff. To put first things first. To do the right things for the right reasons. We need to restore a center. I don't know if you know when I think, if you think of yourself as you can become fragmented and scattered, but there is this center out of which everything you are and does flows. And we need to restore to the center, to live out of the center of a spiritual life of prayer and worship and awareness of who God is and His presence and His power. In the midst of a busy and chaotic world, we can live out of a very real relationship with Christ. This story that we come to this morning, it's one of those stories that we're so familiar with. And it, but it truly is a profound story. It's one, I think, that speaks to us. It's not just a story about two women. They are the main characters. But th- this is a story about the human heart. This is a story about our struggle, whether it's 2,000 years ago or today. The tendencies of the human heart are the same. We tend in the same directions. Values and priorities. It's a story about the center. It's a simple story. Jesus comes to town. He meets a couple of women. There are two sisters who offer him a place to stay. They're practicing the ancient art of hospitality. Travelers come through town and you open your house. So they open their house to Jesus. We're told in verse 38, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered the village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So Martha is the host. Martha must be the eldest of the two sisters. She's the responsible one. She's got first child syndrome. You've ever experienced. I have anyway. She's the eldest sister. She's she's the hostess. She welcomed Jesus into her house. And we're told in verse 39, Martha is welcoming me into her house. Verse 39, we're told she had a sister called Mary. Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. Mary sticks close to Jesus. He comes into the house, and Mary doesn't get too far from him. Although the way I read the story, I'm not sure that she didn't help her sister to a certain extent and say, okay, enough is enough, and said, we've got a guest, a person in our home. And she spends time with him. And I don't know how it happened, but Jesus ends up teaching. He's he's in a private home. He's not out on the hillside with the crowds gathered around him. He's in this house, and he starts teaching. I don't know, maybe Mary prodded him with questions. You know, Mary asked him some stuff, and he got, got Jesus going. Jesus is sitting in the living room of these lady's house teaching Mary's posture is she's sitting at his feet soaking it up right she's sitting at his feet listening so we're told the, the word there listening to his teaching and it literally says to his word listening to his words Martha on the other hand we got in verse 40 is practicing biblical hospitality Martha was distracted and much with much serving so she goes up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Tell her to get up. Tell her to quit sitting around. She's hosting an important traveler, right? Jesus is an important, famous guy by this time. You know, you get this guy in your house, and she wants everything to be just so. She wants to put on a, you know, a big spread. You know, she wants, it to, she wants to take care of everything. This is going to be a, a to-do for Jesus to be in our house. You know, maybe there's some tidying up. She's in the other room throwing stuff in the closet. I don't know. That's what happens in my house. It doesn't even matter if it's the plumber who's coming. You know, there's a certain amount of tidying up that goes on, and stuff gets... 
you know, put away. So maybe Martha's in there thinking he might walk through the house. And so she's in the next room throwing things. She wants to be a good hostess. Has everybody ever had somebody famous stay at your house? You know, can you imagine, you know, one of the famous, I don't know who you're familiar with, Christian teachers, you know, I think of R.C. Sproul and, you know, John Piper and Sinclair Ferguson or Brian Chappell or any of these guys. Can you imagine having one of those guys staying at your house for a couple of days? When I was in seminary, my wife and I had J.I. Packer and his wife over for dinner, you know, and we're seminarians, so we're in a rented house with garage sale furniture, you know, a 1940s throwback table, you know, a pleathered chair and boxes, you know, we're just... Seven and four seminarians. Yeah, Packer comes over for dinner. The balance between being a good host and trying to make everything neat and just nice for this guy. On the other hand, I got J.I. Packer sitting on my living room chair. You know, I'm, I, you know, so there's this balance between I want to be sitting in there and picking his brain. You know, I want to listen to every word that comes out of his mouth. You know, talk to me. Teach me. Say something. Imagine Jesus in your living room. You get him talking. You know, I've seen this at conferences and stuff. You get the speaker. It could be afterward down at the bottom, you know, in a, in a little get-together time afterward here and there. Somebody's asked him a question. The guy starts talking. Everybody's walking by, and they're like, you know, and the circle just starts to grow around him. You know, just kind of sidle up to listen to his, you know, because it's good stuff. You know, you want to hear these guys teach. Jesus is in the living room. Mary is sitting at his feet listening. Martha is working to the point of distraction and frustration, to the point where she's getting worked up. She's getting angry. You can tell she's getting angry because she interrupts Jesus. Can you imagine? She storms into the living room and she interrupts Jesus. I don't know what he was saying. Can you imagine what teaching that could be in the scripture right now that Jesus was uttering at that moment and Martha storms in and says, excuse me, Jesus. Do you not care? How many times has God been accused of not caring? You think Jesus didn't care? Can you imagine? Where is Martha? You know, what is she thinking? She is distracted with much serving. Her heart is confused. She interrupts Jesus and she rebukes him. Don't you care? You're not seeing and doing what I think you should be seeing and doing. Me working. Mary sitting. Right? You're not seeing it, Jesus. Heart is confused and she's got some bad motives going on. Her pride is revealed as she points out her work to Jesus and, and the lack of work of this other person. We never do stuff like that, right? Did you notice me? Did you notice me? Did you notice him sitting over there? Martha does what we often do. She tells the Lord what he ought to do. Tell Mary to help me. Tell Mary to get up. Tell Mary to quit lounging around and leaving me to do all the heavy lifting. But Jesus is good. Jesus is not easily bullied, is he? He's not impressed with our bluster. Jesus will tell it like it is. And he answers Martha. He listens to her. And and he turns on her and says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you are troubled about many things. I, I see what's going on. 
But only one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary, or Martha, Martha, he, this is an endearment. He speaks to her gently. It's a rebuke, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a rebuke, it's, but it's, it's so gentle. Martha, Martha, I see that you're anxious. I see that you're upset. I understand there's stuff going on in your heart, but you need to understand, Martha, you're wrong. Mary's right. And I'm not going to take it away from her. I'm not going to tell her to get busy. Right? He says, one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Hospitality is great, and a certain amount of it is necessary in this case. I don't think Jesus is saying you shouldn't be hospitable. Uh, I think he is saying, Martha, your hospitality has been just fine. Sit down a minute. You know, it's your word about many things. You know, it's got her upset and even bitter. You know, it's important. Active service is important. But Jesus is saying, I am more important. I'm sitting in your living room. Activity is never a substitute for fellowship and communion with Jesus, right? For giving him our attention, sitting at his feet, right? Jesus' response to her is really an, an invitation to sit down. Mary's chosen the better thing. It won't be taken away. This is better. Sit down. Be with me. Listen. Linger. Take a moment of leisure me. Make room for me. All right, you've been great in hospitality, but now make room for me. Jesus is a family friend. He loves these two ladies. We're told in John chapter 11, verse 5, that there, well, maybe it isn't there. And my last point, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. All right, he's familiar with this family. Mary and Martha and Lazarus is their brother, this, this family, and he says he loved them. Both Mary and Martha are both believers. This, this is not a comparison between some, someone who's believing and someone who's not. It's just someone with a confused heart. You know, the church is full of folks with this confusion. That's why we're talking about it. It's, it's the culture that will drive us. They're both believers. They both want to honor Jesus. Martha wants to honor him by serving him. Mary wants to honor him by worshiping him, by giving him her attention. Martha wanted to give Jesus her best. Mary wanted to give Jesus herself. They're both right. They're both good. But here's what I think Jesus is saying. He's not saying one is right and one is wrong. Here's what Jesus is saying. One comes first. One is more important than the other. One is a prerequisite to the other. Right? One is a higher priority if given these two things. Right? In fact, service, your service, Martha, must flow from a heart of love in relationship and fellowship with Jesus. And that's where it all has to begin. Our service is an outflow of our relationship with Him. But Martha's service was not joyful or willing, right? You catch her heart. That's what's going on with her. That's the problem of where Martha is living at this moment. It's not joyful. It's not willing, right? She's serving Jesus, but all the while, she's growing resentful and bitter. There's a heart malfunction. And I would, I would venture to say it's because she has 
over-prioritized her doing and under-prioritized her sitting down and having a little leisure with Jesus, from which all of that would flow nicely. Right? We don't need to give up full and busy lives. We need to, we need to do more of the right things from the right heart. Right? We need to give up a shallow busyness that just burns us out and makes us bitter and unhappy like Martha. But how do we do it? And that's where we live in this, this passage. Jesus is so clear. How do we do it? How do we, how do we get past it? And Jesus tells her, Martha, here's the solution. One thing is necessary. One thing. Sit down and take some time with Jesus. Get your heart right. Come and be loved. Right? Come and take it in. Let me speak into your life. Let me speak into your heart. Let me speak to you about who you are. Let me speak to you about who I am. Let me speak to you about who God is. Let me, let me give you some perspective. Let me, let me speak my love into your life and my care. Just sit with me for a minute and fellowship with me. Take some leisure and get filled. Who we are in relationship with Jesus is what he is saying is the way I read them right here. Who we are in relationship to Jesus is everything. Right? It's the one thing. It's the first thing. Last week we looked at the passages. We were talking about relativism and in the course of the passage in 2 Timothy he said, we're always learning, but we're never coming to a full knowledge of the truth. Right? They're always learning, but they're never coming. That full knowledge is when we come to the place of that knowledge where we actually become it. If it's talking about graciousness and kindness, we don't we not come to a full understanding of that truth until we have become gracious and kind people. We can read all about endurance and steadfastness, but until we've until we've experienced the pressure and, and learned to walk with Christ and experience his grace and his power in the midst of it, where we endure and we come to a full knowledge of the truth only as we incarnate that truth in our own experience. Always learning, but never coming to the full knowledge. We stop short of living the experience. Living what he's talking about. One thing is necessary, he says. Right? The truth is this. One thing is necessary. Can we come to a full knowledge of that truth? One thing is necessary. And Jesus is inviting us into it. Right? Jesus is calling us into it. Relating to Jesus in prayerful interaction over his word. If we can come to the full knowledge of that truth. Day by day. Oh, there will be service. There will be activity. We will be busy. Following Jesus and doing his will. From a heart of grace and gratitude. And love and worship. Full and overflowing in, in the life that he desires for us. Instead of busily and angrily and anxiously running around. We are made to live in dependence upon Christ. You know, there's a Sabbath principle captured in this text of a holy leisure. You know, there's debate about whether there's still a Sabbath that we have to keep like they did in the Old Testament. And what does it mean to keep Sabbath today? And there are those in our circles that say that we keep Sabbath just like we did then. And, and this is how you do it. And there are others who would say, well, there's a Sabbath principle. 
You know, there are things that God was trying to say to us in the Sabbath that we need to capture and live out in some sense this day. That, that God wants us to stop from our normal work and our normal labor and from all those things that occupy us and keep us so busy and fill us. And he says, stop. Be still and know that I am God. And be restored and be renewed in your relationship with me. Lift up your heart. Lift up your eyes. Slow down. So whether you believe in the Sabbath, and I'm not, you know, today's not my day to hit that, but I would say there's a Sabbath principle here. Jesus is saying one thing is necessary. Mary is doing it. She's sitting with me, absorbing my word, hanging on my every word, being with me in fellowship. And why is this so hard for us? Right? It doesn't feel practical, does it? <laughs> We have so much to do, and there's so little time. I don't have time for lingering around stuff like that. I don't have time for leisure. The schedule demands my constant motion, both outwardly and of my heart and mind. I must keep moving, or, or it will all collapse around me. How can I make it all happen? I must make it all happen. But Jesus is sitting in the living room, and he's saying to us, one thing really matters. Hello, Martha, one thing really matters. One thing. Lift it up to the top of your list. We're made to live in dependence upon Christ. Feeding our souls, right, is not lost time. You know, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet speaks to the value of who Jesus is and the words that he speaks. You know, that he is worthy of my time and my attention. But it also speaks to the worth of her soul. The feeding of our soul is not lost time. Jesus is saying your soul is important. I am the lover of your soul. Give me a minute with it. Let me add it. Let me speak into it. Let me shape it and strengthen it and hold it up and fill you with my life and all that I have done for you and long for you. Psalm 19, we're told the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. It rejoices the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. He says, time with my word is reviving to the soul and making wise to those who need wisdom. And it rejoices the heart. It lightens your eyes. Those who wait upon the Lord and his word will renew their strength. And they will rise up stronger, wiser, happier, and more productive than if they didn't sit down and wait upon the Lord. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, gathering her strength, renewing her joy, gaining perspective, cultivating a willing heart. Spurgeon says, you're doing your soul serious mischief if you put the whole of your strength into that part of your life which is visible to men. And you forget that portion of your life which is secret between you and your God. One thing is necessary. And everything else flows out of it. One thing is necessary. That we might come to the full knowledge of this truth and and live it. That Jesus, that God has made us for himself and our hearts are restless till we rest in him. Martha is driven by the tasks at hand and she seems unable to stop, 
unable to see what is missing. The call, the invitation, the command is to pull away from our frantic pace to be with Christ. And I believe that we will discover the full knowledge of the truth, which is this. They that wait upon the Lord renew their strength. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning as a busy and distracted people. We come this morning as those who are working hard, doing many things, full schedules. Father, you know us. Many of us are anxious and troubled and growing bitter and growing hollow and growing empty and growing weak and growing discouraged. We are desperately hungry and thirsty. Oh, Father, would you teach us the full knowledge of this truth that one thing is necessary. We need you. We need you desperately. Would you draw near and fill us with your spirit? Grace us with your presence and lead us to be still that we might know you and find our life and our strength in that knowledge. We ask and we pray in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.